Hi everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And boy, do we have a great episode for you today. Today, I am talking with Justin Gibbonet. And if you're not familiar with Justin, well, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is the co-founder of the AND campaign, which we're going to get into that in just a second. An attorney and a political strategist found in, or not found in, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And as I mentioned, he is the co-founder of the AND campaign, and their mission is to educate and organize Christians for civic and cultural engagement that results in better representation, more just, more just and compassionate policies, and a healthier political culture. And if there's something that we need right now, it is that. And so this episode is long as with uh, at least one more, maybe a couple more episodes. And we're going to be talking about um, how to have civic uh, dialogue and how to engage in uh, areas, particularly as it, concern, uh, as it concerns political dynamics as well with this episode also. And so super excited about that. Super excited to be having these conversations. These are honestly the conversations that I absolutely love. And this is why the podcast was created to have these types of conversations, to have what may be deemed as dangerous conversations. And here on the Learner's Corner, we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations to where we not all can agree, but we can have great dialogue about it because we truly believe that we can learn from anyone, from everyone, from anything, from everything. And this is the place that we want to have that happen. And so we're going to get into my conversation with Justin here in just a second. But before we do that, I do want to let you know that the music that you're listening to is brought to you by my good friend, Sam Massey. And if you uh, have any audio or any video needs, be sure to hit him up for any of that stuff. Now, the reason why Justin came across uh, my path was because he recently co-authored a new book called Compassion and Conviction. And the subtitle is The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Justin. Well, Justin, I'm so excited to talk with you about uh, your new book that you've co-authored called Compassion and Conviction. And just so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Man, Caleb, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to have a conversation with you today. Yeah. And just as we get started, anytime that uh, that anyone creates an organization or a piece of art or a book or anything like that, I just love hearing the story behind it because just what I've heard is that there's there's usually a moment or a series of events that led somebody feeling like, hey, I needed to bring this into the world. And so I, I would just love to hear um, kind of about what led you to start the, or help start the, the AND campaign, kind of what it is, and then what led to you wanting to uh, co-author this book as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give you the somewhat short version, but still, still I think, interesting. So I've been doing political strategy for about, um, you know, over a decade. Uh, running campaigns and working with candidates, all of that stuff. Uh, and as I was doing that, I just began to kind of have a, just be, to feel this tension uh, because a lot of my friends and even folks I went to church with, whether they wanted just to participate in politics or to run for office, 
felt like they had to leave some of their convictions behind. Um, that, you know, there's a lot of biblical Christians in Atlanta, but for some reason, if they were going to run for office, it felt like, okay, well, there's certain things that I can't talk about anymore. Uh, and that's kind of in the progressive space of Atlanta, but also I had friends who had run other campaigns with who were Republicans who were like, hey, man, I, you know, I feel like we're not compassionate enough. Like, I want to talk about moral order and things of that nature, but I want to do it with more compassion and, you know, show more compassion for the poor and things of that nature. And so I just started to see this false dichotomy um, where when you entered into politics, if you cared about justice, you would go to the left. If you cared about, you know, moral order and things of that nature, and you know, uh, pro-life issues, things like that, you would go to the right. Um, and I just didn't think that was right. I thought that caused a false dilemma that I didn't see in the gospel, right? Because when I looked in the gospel, you look at Jesus was very compassionate, uh, cared, you know, was socially concerned about people. Um, but at, at the same time, he wasn't, uh, kind of squishy with it. Right. He also corrected people and understood that there was a standard that everybody needed to be held to. And we, I just didn't see that in our politics. I think Christians had allowed their political affiliation to become religious in nature. And we were kind of allowing our political parties, our ideological tribes to frame the issues for us. And so the AND campaign was created in response to that false dichotomy. And what we were saying, and the, really the meaning of, of AND campaign is when Christians enter into the public square, we need to be about compassion and conviction, justice and moral order, saying that those things aren't mutually exclusive, that those things are actually, they, 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 they go together, they're interdependent. Uh, and so you know, through a whole bunch of things, through going through the Democratic National Convention, all these, it just, it was very clear to me that I had to do something. I had to bring Christians together because Christians didn't have a clear framework for being Christian in the public square. We just became conservatives or progressives. And I didn't think that was faithful. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I'm just curious because uh, I, would, I would just love to hear uh, your answer because I think there is, there's a certain segment of the population, particularly whenever it comes to the church, that is just like, Hey, like we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about politics whenever it comes to church. We shouldn't, you know, uh, we shouldn't speak on matters whenever it seems like sometimes that the gospel intersects what's what's happening in the world. Um, but why why do you think it's important for us as Christians just to continue to engage in on those issues, regardless of um, of maybe some of the backlash that we might get from? Hey, you're being too political in the church. Yeah. Like, what what would you say about that? So let me say this: I, I do want to affirm the worry that some people have about the church being too political or being too, Mm -hmm. you know, being too partisan, that we should watch out for that. But I would say that should not stop us from engaging in those conversations and excuse me, and advocating for the needs of other people. And the reason I think that's necessary is the great commandment. I mean, if, if we look at the second half of the great commandment, love others as you love yourselves, you can't do that without being socially concerned. You can't do that without being concerned about how people are being treated in society. Um, you would want justice for yourself. Uh, I often say, you know, I don't know anybody who, if their child was being mistreated at school or someone in their family was about to be unjustly imprisoned, that would sit there and not do anything about it, right? If your brother's going to be unjustly imprisoned, you're going to do something about it. If the kids in your neighborhood are drinking lead poisoned water, you're not going to sit there and not, not do anything. Because you care. It's not because you don't care about the gospel. Or you don't think the blood has power. It does. But also you understand that God has placed certain things in your in your um, sphere of influence and you need to do something about it. So if you would do those things for yourself, you have to do those things for others. That's that's the great commandment. And that's really what we're saying. And politics 
should not be engaged for the sake of politics or just for the sake of power, but it should be engaged because it provides us a robust opportunity to love our neighbor with action and advocacy. And that's why we think you should engage in it because Christians do have a lot of influence and we need to use it not primarily for ourselves, uh, but for our neighbors. Yeah. How do you, how do you manage the tension between, uh, not being too political, but not, uh, I don't, I don't know what the other one would be, but not being too political and not engaging at all. Because just as you said, like you can fall into either one of the spectrum. What are, what are some things that you've learned that just maybe, maybe help you tell, or you've seen other people use to help tell, Hey, I, I feel like I'm getting this right. And managing, managing the tension. Well, yeah, I think the main, one of the main things is not being overly partisan, right? Um, Christians cannot, again, cannot allow our political affiliation to become religious in nature. You can be in a party, and I really don't personally don't care which party you're in, but it cannot be part of your identity. Um, and so you have to be able to use your party as a tool, not as the master of your social action. So if we're getting in the pulpits and the, a party is the master of our social action or we're using all their language and rhetoric, then we have gone too far. Uh, but if we're out there and advocating based on biblical values and we have a separation from our party and ideological tribe and we're able to critique them, then we're doing it in a way that I think is faithful. And we talk a lot about that in the book. That's really what the book is about. What does it look like to be faithful in the public square, to be engaged, but at the same time, not act like politics is an ultimate thing, right? So we do have to keep in mind our primary purpose in this life is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of that proclamation and that faith is what we do, is some of the works that we do uh, in the public square. Now, that doesn't save us. But I think it's indicative of what's written on our hearts. And it's something that everybody can see. It's, you know, it, it shows uh, kind of the, the substance of, you know, of our faith. And, and that's how we look at it, uh, that it's not an ultimate thing. It is important and we should be engaged when we can. Yeah. How, how can you tell if maybe you've made politics the ultimate thing in your life? One way, one, one way that I, I tell people that is if, number one, if, if you're willing to lose a brother or sister over a political dispute, right? Um, we should not be losing brothers or sisters over partisanship and all that stuff. We can disagree, and some of the stuff we disagree on is, is serious, but it's not an ultimate thing. And so we shouldn't be uh, not, you know, not speaking to each other and, and all that stuff over it. The other thing is, can somebody criticize your party or your ideological tribe without you getting offended? Because if you do, so you, if you said something about Democrats and you were right, if you said something about, you know, our policies on their policies on, uh, you know, uh, pro-life, you know, on, on abortion issues or uh, religious freedom, I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm probably going to agree with you because it's not part of my identity. Like, I'm not going to be offended just because you, you make a good point about something Democrats need to do better. And I think everybody should be like that. And if you can't be like that, if you listen to a commentator and the first time they say something about your party, you get offended then you're too close and, and perhaps even indoctrinated. And, and I think Christians can never allow themselves to be indoctrinated by partisanship or ideology because those things are made with human hands and they're, and they're broken. Mm. What, are, what are some things that you've learned about how to have good dialogue with people that you disagree with and still have like a good relationship with that person at the end of the conversation? Because, I mean, I think so many people fall into that category right now, especially as we're approaching the election. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Caleb. I, I think one of the things I recommend is to walk in the conversation about, um, about politics and race with humility. I think too often we walk into those conversations trying to make sure that we leave that conversation looking faultless. And when we do that, we're really just being intellectually dishonest. 
No, but the other side never believes us when we act like we are completely faultless in, in, in any situation. So I think we have to go into those conversations with honesty and with a spirit of self-examination rather than that posture of self-defense. Because especially, you know, on race issues, when we always walk into that with a posture of self-defense, we, it goes nowhere. Uh, and, and both sides are being intellectually dishonest. And we have to think about the fact how many people had a conversation with Jesus and walked away with their uh, narrative intact. Hardly anybody. So none of us are faultless. Some of us do have more fault in certain situations. And so we have to be honest about the history. We have to be honest about what's going on today and not defending ourselves and our tribe uh, kind of at the expense of our credibility, really. Mm -hmm. You talked about uh, identity politics a little bit and um, and being uh, defensive whenever it comes to maybe our political party being um, being criticized. What are some other like common pitfalls that you see uh, Christians on either side of the political spectrum like tend to fall into? Yeah, I mean those those are two big ones. Um, but again, I think, as I mentioned before, Christians not framing the issues for themselves, right? Christians feeling like, hey, once I put on this red garment, that that's who I am and, and I have to go with it because if I criticize or critique my side, then I'm helping the other side. And that's just not true. If you're willing to honestly critique your side, then the other side might actually listen to something you have to say. And so not going into these conversations as a representative of Democrats or Republicans, but as a Christian. And so if there, I always say, if there's a conversation with a bunch of Democrats, people should be able to point out who the Christian Democrats are. Same thing. If there's a conversation amongst a, a bunch of uh, Christian Republicans, they should know, I mean, a bunch of Republicans, they should know who the Christian Republicans are in that conversation. It should be no doubt, right? They shouldn't be camouflaged, right? People should know, and Christians cannot be generic Democrats or generic Republicans. We have a unique message because we have a savior that has given us a different standard. Uh, and, and that means that we have to treat people differently. And that should be, if nothing else should be clear, that should be clear. What, what was the turning point for you to where you, uh, like you realized, um, and, and maybe, and maybe you didn't experience this, but maybe you realized, Hey, my political party and Christianity are, are too, too aligned. I don't know what the correct, I'm trying to think of yeah. what the question is that I'm trying to get at, but where, uh, like you mistook, Hey, you're like Christianity and your political party aligned on everything. And then one day you realized, oh, they do not. Because I think for a lot of us, we have that moment in our lives. And I'm just curious if you experienced that. Yeah, I just kind of realized, especially on kind of like uh, the abortion issue as the parties continue to go to the left um, on the sexual ethics um, mm -hmm. uh, issue, that my opinions were slowly changing, but it wasn't based on the Bible, right? It was based mm -hmm. on the fact that people around me and the influencers around me were changing and had rhetoric that was trying to convince me to change. And I really just had to stay back and say, look, the, the word of God is, is, is standing forever. Not everything evolves, not everything changes uh, uh, because, you know, God's truth is everlasting. Like we can't add to it, right? It doesn't need mm -hmm. us to evolve it. It doesn't need us to improve it. And I think in our society, it's really hard, especially for, for folks who are more progressive, to understand that you can't improve everything, right? Some things God has created as good, and if you try to add or take away from them, then you have only kind of uh, made them worse. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I had to realize that, that there's some things I just need to stand on, and they don't need to uh, necessarily change. And that meant that I would have to challenge my own party and separate from myself from it. So I really, honestly, I don't think people should feel like their party is their tribe. Your tribe is the folks you go to church with, 
you know, that that's those are the people, the folks you fellowship with within, you know, your Christian circles. That's your tribe. And once we start feeling that way, I think we'll be able to change the political landscape rather than perpetuate some of the negativity. in it. Yeah. Can can you talk about what what it was like? Maybe maybe it's today or maybe uh, even early on as well as like, what was it like to uh, to like cha- to challenge kind of the, the Democratic Party of like, hey, I don't align with you on everything because like I, I find myself in that situation, especially over the past few years of like, hey, I don't like I don't agree with everything in the Republican Party. Hey, I don't agree with everything in the Democratic Party. And uh, I think there's just a lot of people who who are just experiencing that. What, what was that like for you? And what what is it still like for you today? It was tough initially. I mean, it's it's not easy to go uh, against the grain. It wasn't something I was happy to do. It's something I felt called to do. Uh, but isn't that so much a part of discipleship? I mean, if you look at the Bible, you look through Acts over and over. They're they're saying, no, we're this is different. We have to do something differently. We were doing things wrong, and they put their lives on the line to do that. And so I think if there's a you know we have to be able to pull the message out of the Bible that says if you're going to testify, if you're going to be prophetic in the, in this space you have to be willing to tell it like it is and go against your tribe. And I, I remember, you know, there were times when on Twitter, I wanted to say something. I was like, nah, because that may, you know, affect, you know, may, may affect me down the road. And then just one day I said, you know what? I don't care. Um, I'm going to say what needs to be said, whether there are people who are my friends or mentors who don't like it. Uh, it has to be said because, you know, there just weren't enough people saying it. And so that's what the end campaign is trying to do. Get emboldened Christians to say what needs to be said, regardless of what, what, Either side has to say, we have to be prophetic. We're, we can't make this situation better. We can't heal this land if we're not willing to stand on our beliefs, point blank. What helps you remain encouraged during that? Because I imagine that at times it's got to feel lonely. It's got to feel like, hey, you're the only, like maybe you're the only one. What helps you remain encouraged throughout all of that? Well, that was the thing. I mean, that's the way God works. There was a time when I thought I was alone, but I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, guy, you know, once I kind of made the decision to come out there and say something, then I meet somebody like Michael Ware. I meet the Charlie Dates. I meet the Lisa Fields. I meet, you know, uh, Alan Noble, folks like that. And God's saying, no, you're not alone. You just need to make that decision to do the right thing. And so that, that's been the most encouraging to see the community of people who's willing to say, you know what, drag me on Twitter, say what you got to say. I got to, I have to say what I, I have to say what I believe because this isn't going to get better if everybody's afraid. Everybody can't be afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what we learned from the civil rights movement. That's what we learned from, you know, abolitionists in, in moments that are very tough and where things need to change, everybody cannot be afraid. And it's those people who are bold enough to do something different that actually make a change. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Can you talk just more about the, the, the power of having someone who, um, who thinks like that mindset of like, it doesn't need to be either or, but it can be both. And as in, you know, as in with the and campaign. Yeah. You just have to really be deliberate about stepping out of some of the assumptions that were given. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's take the conversation about LGBTQ issues, right? The framework that we've been given by popular, you know, a culture is that either you affirm somebody or you hate them. And that's it. So you make your choice. You affirm people or you hate them. Christians have to be deliberate and say, that's a false, that's not how, I mean, we have all kinds of family members that can be, you know, we can disagree with on a number of things, 
And it's not either I affirm them or I hate them. I can love somebody and disagree with them. I can, you know, disagree with somebody and be willing to sacrifice my life for them and be willing to make sure that they're not treated poorly. Those things that do not have to necessarily have to go together. But unless Christians are, but that's a bold, depending on, you know, where you live and who your friends are and, and, and all that, that's a bold statement to make. I mean, you can get canceled. There's a lot of things that can happen to you. You have to be deliberate, but not only, but also courageous to make that kind of statement in certain circles. And then there's other circles, right? That either, you know, um, either you're just going to preach the gospel, but if you touch anything that has to do with justice in a social context, then you're a Marxist, right? So either you don't really talk about the justice stuff or you're a Marxist. And it's like, no, there's so much space in between. And I think Christians really get it wrong when we avoid the tension, right? So I think sometimes on the right, uh, Christians that are more conservative, because we do see people on the left doing justice wrong, and there are some bad conceptions of social justice, then we don't want to touch it at all. We, we avoid the tension by not even getting close to the line where the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. The Bible says people have um, distorted a lot of things, marriage, everything else, but you still have to show people how to do it right. Right. So that's what I mean by framing things for yourself. It's not Marxism or nothing. Right. There's so much in between. And if we're afraid to even come close to it because other people do it wrong, then we're missing opportunities to help people. Uh, we're missing opportunities to frame the issues for ourselves and show people what the gospel is really about. What do you think draws us into like this either or type of mindset that you're talking about? I think what draws us into it is messaging. And you, as you know, in the book, we ha- we talk a lot about messaging. The truth of the matter is if, if I can create a binary, this is right and that is wrong, it's easier for me to convince you of stuff. So if I'm a political leader and I'm working on my messaging, the more I can dumb down or reduce the messaging to yes, no, right, wrong, evil, uh, you know, angel or demon, the easier it is for me. I don't really have to explain a whole lot of stuff to you. I just have to say bad. Look over there. Good. Look over there. Bad. It makes it easier. Instead of pushing back on that and adding nuance to the conversation, we just feed into it. Whereas I think Christians have to step back and say, no, it's not that easy. I'm not going to make your job that easy. You're going to have to explain on all these different issues why you think it's right and why you think it's wrong on the merits. Uh, mm-hmm. I've said over and over that I think being uh, progressive or conservative on every single issue is intellectually lazy. It's completely lazy. You cannot go through the Bible and say on every issue they take the side of ideological progressives or ideological conservatives. It's not there. You can try to make it there, but that's conflating ideology with 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 uh, theology, and that's just not that's not right. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, what, what are some other ways that we can tell that someone is trying to influence? You, you talked about, you know, the binary messaging as well. Is there anything else that like, hey, as, that people should just be on the lookout of like, hey, if you hear this, you might be, you yeah. know, uh, people might be playing to, to that idea. Be very careful of just phrase. So we talk a lot about just words. Um, and so be very careful about words that are used just too broadly, right? Um, so, you know, even the word progressive or the word patriotism, right? People use those words because they bring a certain vision or a certain understanding into our head, but they don't really mean a whole lot unless you really have context, right? So don't allow people to use words to push you in a direction when those words really need to be explained. Like, what do you mean about progressive in this situation? What do you mean about patriotism when we're talking about, you know, a justice issue that, you know, 
make people explain those words and not just get away with using a, a word or a phrase to cover so much ground, right? Sometimes those words and phrases do too much work. And we have to make sure that we're really cutting into it and piercing through to say, wait, what do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Explain yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's something else that we really get deeply into in the book, how to have a trained eye to see kind of rhetoric that's coming or propaganda that's coming your way. Yeah. And that, that hits at one of, uh, one of, I think my favorite quotes in the book is, uh, when the issue isn't framed properly, there often isn't a correct answer right. in it. Um, is, do you just have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I, you know, I'm an attorney, so I know that you can ask a question a certain way where there is no right answer, right? And so if I'm framing the question and I'm framing it in a way where I want to um, persuade you, I may not frame it in an honest, in an honest way. That's why, again, Christians have to frame it for themselves so that we know there is actually a right answer to the question that's being asked rather than mm-hmm. two wrong answers. Yeah. What, what would be some ways of determining whether or not a question is framed well or uh, framed poorly so that someone can use it for their, uh, for their own personal gain or their agenda or their political party? Yeah, I think we have to put everything under biblical scrutiny. Again, I, I can go back to the LGBTQ example, right? To say that you either hate somebody or affirm somebody, those are two wrong answers. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. the only options that we have. That's a fake binary that people give us. And if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel like, you know, almost you can go back to what what would Jesus do? If it doesn't feel like Jesus would do either of those, I'm not going to affirm something that I know isn't right, but but I am going to affirm your human dignity, right? We have to, you know, sometimes as Christians, if you're in the Bible, if you're praying, you know, you're going you're gonna to have a feeling like this decision they're trying to make just doesn't feel right. Well, then maybe the question was wrong. Don't feel like you have, you're, for, you're forced to answer that question. Reject the premise, uh, right? I mean, that's, that's what you have to do sometimes. But it's really about being in the word. You got to be in the word. You got to be talking and fellowshipping with other Christians, having these conversations at churches and in small groups so that people can kind of start to flesh these things out together rather than just accepting what they give us. Do not just accept what they give you because there's so much misdirection and just dishonesty uh, that we really have to filter it out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. What, what are some uh, things that you use to engage with people to enter a more nuanced conversation? Because I think the temptation is, you know, somebody, somebody spurts an opinion, whether it be political or, um, or whatever it might be. And, you know, I think the natural tendency is to say, well, you're wrong. And this is what I think. What are some things that help you engage on a more nuanced level conversation? Yeah. Ask them why they believe, you know, if they, if they make a statement you disagree with rather than say, no, you're wrong. Say, okay, why, why do you believe that? You know, what, what tell me, you know, explain to me why you think that's the truth. Right. And, and sincerely listen to them. And I think once they explain themselves, try to find common ground. Well, you make a great point on this part. I, I agree with that. You know, and here's where we may th- see things a little bit differently. But I, I don't think we're as far as we you know, it may seem. So give people a chance to know that you care about them. Uh, you're, you're willing to build a relationship and you really want to hear them out. Uh, rarely do you know with these Twitter back and forth, rarely do you see somebody be convinced by somebody trading insult for insult and yelling at them. And the Bible tells us over and over again about the power of the tongue, about people who don't watch what they say. Uh, and so we have to make sure we're being gracious within those conversations. It's something I have to work on sometimes too. So I don't want to uh, act like I'm perfect with it, but we do have to be deliberate. And I think I've come to a place where I'm, I'm intent on trying to do better and hear people out. And I think it's benefited, you know, the and campaign's perspective. Yeah. How, how has your work as an attorney 
affected uh, who you are today and how do you use your skills that you learned as your attorney, as an attorney today? I think it helps. One thing being an attorney is it helps you issue spot. So it helps you look at, you know, look at a, a group of facts and spot where the issues are and really um, dissect the language that's being used and, and the way things are structured. Uh, and so I think when it comes to looking at policy, when it comes to looking at, you know, going through rhetoric and looking through messaging to see what people are saying, it has helped me dissect that in a, in a better way. But I don't think people have to be in a, the attorneys to do that a lot better in the public square. I think it, our book really equips Christians to do that themselves, whether you have a legal education or not. I don't think it's about that, whether you have a college education or not. Uh, some of the smartest people I know don't, uh, but they're very good because they, they practice in really getting to the heart of a certain issue. Um, and so we don't want those things to be distractions. Everybody can do it. Everybody can be more faithful in the public square if we're just more biblical, if we're paying more attention and not just going along with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Can you can you say more uh, just about issue spotting? Because this is the first time like I've ever heard of it before. Yeah. So, you know, in law school, one of the things you that you learn is they'll give you uh, a hypothetical, right? They'll give you a group of facts and you have to spot what the issue is, like where are the conflicts in, within that mm-hmm. conversation. Um, and so, you know, I think that helps when you hear rhetoric. Again, we can go back to the, the justice conversation, right? When you, when you hear per- certain people always dismiss something as Marxism or always without really getting deep into it, you say, well, the issue here that I had to spot was that there's a lot of space between us addressing racial injustice and, uh, and becoming Marxist, right? Mm-hmm. Now, certainly Marxism is wrong. It does take race and do something different with it. But there's so much space. And I think as an issue spotter, you, you have to look at the distance between the two propositions and what and, and, and in that space, what truths are there. Right. So within the two extremes, they like to focus on the other extreme and they like to blame, you know, everything. You know, if I do something wrong, all I have to do is say, hey, go look at Trump or go look at Pelosi rather than looking to what is actually going on and spotting the issues that aren't being addressed. Uh, so, for instance, I talk a lot about. Are we going to look at how, you know, Republican healthcare policy or lack thereof, the impact that it's having on rural hospitals? Or are we just going to blame everything on Nancy Pelosi? Are we going to look at these progressive cities that poor people can't even live in unless they're on the street? Are we going to address that? Or are we just going to say, look at Trump, right? Those are kind of, you know, those are some of the things where you can spot the issue that's not being addressed and how they're trying to misdirect you. And both sides are doing that. They're not necessarily equal, doing it in equal ways. But it happens. And we need to be able to call that out because people are poor people, especially are suffering. You know, people in rural areas don't need to travel, you know, two hours to get to a hospital when you have serious issues. If you really care about poor people on the progressive side, why can't they live in the cities, the big, the biggest cities that are been, have been run by progressives for decades? It doesn't make sense. But unless we start asking those questions, We'll just allow them to put it off on the other side when it's like, what does any Republican have to do with the housing policy in San Francisco? What does any Democrat have to do with the health care policy uh, that, that you've had in these rural areas that have been run by and, and, and red states that have been run by Republicans forever? Are we just going to let them blame that on other people? No, it, it has to be about accountability and not letting people slide out of those kind of questions. That's good. Uh, another another statement that really stood out to me uh, while I was going through the book is that Christians have to avoid mobs as well. 
can you can you expound on that? Why why it's important for us uh, to do so? Yes, uh, and I actually have an article coming out this Sunday in the Hill about that exact uh, uh, thing. So I'll give you a little yeah. insight before it comes yeah. out. Mobs are unthinking, right? Somebody, you know, mobs are very useful to tyrants because mobs don't think. Uh, even in the Bible, in Acts maybe nineteen, don't quote me, but uh, with the Demetrius, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, he he creates this mob and they said, you know, they're they're coming at Paul, they're ready to go get him. And the Bible says some people in the mob didn't even know why they were there. Right? They didn't even know why they were there. They were just angry, upset, but they didn't know why. And if you go to these rallies, if you go to some of these, you know, riots, and you would ask somebody, what is really this about? Some people wouldn't even be able to tell you because a mob is un- unthinking. A mob doesn't hold its uh, leaders accountable. A mob doesn't critique its tribe. A mob just says, hey, there's the enemy, go get them. And for Christians, that's so dangerous because it's not gracious. There's no compassion involved in it. And it's not conviction that's based on any real principles. It's just go get, they're the bad guy, go get them. And so much of our politics is based on that. It's also not honest. And we've been talking about intellectual honesty. Christians have to be intellectually honest. And a mob is not consistent. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to um, kind of uphold any truths. It just has to go get, it just has to destroy whatever it thinks the enemy is. That never can be the Christian way because we have to be sympathetic. We have to, you know, think through issues. We have to care about, we have to love our enemy. So uh, we have to be gracious enough to hear them out and want to uh, protect their dignity too. You can't do that in a mob. And mobs are set up for that purpose. And that's why mobs in politics are very, um, uh, expedient because they get you places because you don't have to explain something. You just point in that direction and the mob goes to get them. We cannot be a part of that, uh, of that, uh, phenomenon. How, how can you know if maybe you're being, uh, like if, how, how do you know if you're maybe joining a mob? I don't know of another way to ask the question. Well, I think there's a certain kind of like negativity, right? I mean, when you analyze, political issues is it is there a bitterness is there always an us versus them conversation right is it zero sum are you thinking that they have to lose in order for us to win they have to in fact they have to be destroyed and and kind of out out of the picture before anything good can get done it's not a christian perspective and so if if you're kind of bitter if you're you're you know because there can be bad things so i'm not saying let's be utopian and act like everything's great Mm-hmm. But there should be a certain aspiration, a certain faith that you're not going to your every analysis isn't going to be some bitter, angry analysis. Right. Um, and we saw this. I mean, again, we saw this in the civil rights movement when serious things were happening. But there still wasn't it wasn't just about bitterness. There was righteous indignation. There was determination and passion. Right. Um, but it didn't have to be bitter and angry. And if people are using you know, what we don't realize is when you're angry and you're bitter all the time and you and you sit in that, right? Because we can be angry, but when we sit in that, we don't realize that we're easily manipulated. I mean, it's, it's very easy, easy to ma- manipulate somebody who's always in a state of rage. And that's where some people want to keep you. They want to keep you afraid. They want to keep you in a state of rage. So you'll do what they want you to do. And I think that's a clear sign of uh, the kind of mob mentality in politics. Yeah. How would you say uh, a mob is different than a protest? Because there's some people who are listening and they're like, hey, in my opinion, you know, some of the protesting, that could be a mob. But yeah. it's it's different. How How is it so different? 
Yeah, I think with a, you know, a, a peaceful protest, people are still thinking, right? People are making a statement, but it's not an unthinking statement. It's not just a bitter statement. It's not, I want to destroy you statement. It's not destroying things statement. It's saying this system as it is right now needs to be disrupted. And disruption is not always seen as a negative thing in the Bible, right? I mean, there are times if you go through Isaiah, if you go through Amos, where God is asking for a disruption, where God is actually saying, hold up, how is it that you are my children and you didn't disrupt this iniquity? You didn't disrupt this uh, immorality. You didn't disrupt this injustice, right? So disruption isn't the bad thing. Being destructive and just kind of destroying what's ever in front of you, people in front of you, that's the bad thing. One of them is trying to construct something better. The other is just trying to tear things down to, you know, in vengeance or, you know, or whatever, what have you. And I think that's the big difference is people thinking and people trying to build something better rather than the idea being, well, I'll tear this up until you, you know, until you change it. Uh, those are the differences. And the line, you know, you have to be very careful about the line, which is why leadership is important to keep people from going over uh, those lines, because it's not always clear in the middle of it. And that's why a protest can become negative, but they don't have to be. And I think they are necessary as disruptions. Yep, definitely. Can you talk about the role that advocacy also plays? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are very clearly supposed to advocate for the poor. We're supposed to speak on on the on behalf of those who are voiceless, right? When we talk, I mean, if you go to First uh, John three and it talks about what love really is, how we love through our works, how if you know there's a brother who is poor, doesn't have food, how you are supposed to do something for that's advocacy, right? That's that's making sure that you're filling in for them in ways that they may not be capable of. Again. When God puts something in your uh, sphere of influence, you're supposed to do, you're supposed to be a good steward of the influence that he's given you. And you're not supposed to just use it for yourself. And we talk about in the book, the, the politics of Christian self-interest. We don't have to ignore our interests completely, but it should not be the main thing. It should not be the main thing we're thinking about. I truly believe that when our, uh, when we're at, you know, when we, when we finally see our maker, he's not going to say, hey, well done for, you know, everything you did for yourself. Well done for what you did for others. And that's what really what we have to, you know, be focused on. Um, and that and that's why we need a paradigm shift when it comes to Christian politics in general. Yeah. And and one of my one of my favorite parts of the book is whenever you list out uh with your other co-authors the the examples of biblical protest and biblical yeah. advocacy through and we'll we'll just kind of tease it there uh for another reason to go get the book. Okay. Um but uh just as we're wrapping up a couple of uh, questions I want to ask is, what have you what have you learned through your political uh, experience and being involved um, in kind of the political world that maybe the average person doesn't know or doesn't realize? One of the things that I learned was that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that the idea of any kind of purity on either side is just completely fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much money changing hands, transactions that you don't see. It doesn't mean we shouldn't touch it. It means that we, you should not trust that everything is what you see, that there's more mm-hmm. under the surface. There's more than what your eyes are going to see. Um, and that's just, that just means that we have to, again, be very deliberate uh, about analyzing things for ourselves because there's so much that goes on that we will ignore or just have no idea is there if we're just listening to the leader, the party leaders and strategists and things of that nature. 
Christians have to do their own due diligence. We have to do our own work. We have to have institutions that we support that are paying attention because people have jobs and all types of things to do. Every single Christian is not going to be able to pay attention to every single thing that's going on in politics, but we can do that through uh, uh, serving and supporting institutions. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of my last question is for the person who's like, um, I'm all on board. How, how, what, what's the first step? What can I do to help create this more um, like civil dialogue? I mean, obviously you can do that on a personal level. I think on a bigger level, you know, you can do things like join institutions. Again, I think our institutions, are, it's the thing about politics is, is it's not meant to be done simply as an individual. Like mm-hmm. politics is a community collective thing. That's why I vote. I mean, one vote counts. But if you do it in community and bring 20 votes, they count even more. Right. Yeah. And so do politics in community. Um, you know, maybe ask your pastors or, or, or other faith organizations to throw a faith and politics kind of forum, just to in, not to be partisan, but just to have conversations about what's going on in the community. Uh, you know, what policies are passing, what's going on in your school board. These are things that you can do. You can also join groups like the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative, where we're bringing Christians together in a nonpartisan way to address criminal justice policy, because we care about, you know, fathers not being taken out of the home for too long. We care about making sure that people aren't mistreated when they go to jail, even if they have to serve their time. There's, a, there's still a certain way they should be treated. Um, so there's ways to get involved. And if you, you, know, you want to get involved in the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative, you can go to Prayer and Action, uh, the Prayer and Action Coalition.org, and that'll show you ways to, to, to kind of get involved as we work on local levels to change things for the better, not just for ourselves, but uh, for our neighbors. Well, Justin, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I know people are going to want to pick up the book, Compassion and Conviction, and continue to learn from you. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? You can follow us on uh, Twitter or Instagram. We are at uh, and campaign, A-N-D campaign. Uh, you can go to our website, which is and campaign, A-N-D campaign dot org. Uh, and just follow us. We're always putting out content. We have a, a podcast called Church Politics, where we talk about politics from a biblical worldview. I think you'll find it to be very refreshing because you're not going to hear those kind of perspectives on Meet the Press and, you know, all that other stuff. But we want to bring kind of a fresh perspective that is gospel centered. Awesome. Well, Justin, thanks so much again for being on the podcast. And just thank you so much for, for the work that you're doing, because it's just so needed right now. Thank you, Caleb, for giving me an opportunity uh, to speak with you. Uh, We'll have to do this again. Well, Justin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, Just super grateful to have you and continuing to contribute to a healthier conversation with with all of us, but particularly as it concerns our uh, political sector as well. And so thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you for listening to the podcast as well and helping us create a a community here in the Learner's Corner to where it is a truly a safe place to have dangerous conversations. And if you are currently learning from someone or from something that is just uh, really resonating with you, I would love to hear from you and and just learn from you about some of the things and some of the people that you're learning about as well. And the best way to do that is to hit me up on Instagram. My handle is at Caleb J. Mason. And also thanks to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Just super grateful for you and for your friendship. And again, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.